Let's go ahead and uh, look at our passage for today, which is Isaiah chapter 43, verse 19. Isaiah 43, verse 19. Got one verse for us. We're going to keep it simple, but there's a whole lot in here. You ready? Look, I'm about to do something new. Even now it is coming. Do you not see it? Indeed, I will make a way in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we are gathered here together once again in your presence, Lord, to hear all that it is that you have for us. And I pray that as the word, your word, goes out of my mouth, Lord, that it would accomplish the purpose that you have for it today. God, that you would open our eyes to see the truth, Lord, and that you would overwhelm us with your presence and your joy and your love and the peace forgiveness and grace that is in your son the Lord Jesus Christ here today Lord we believe in the Holy Spirit today pray that you would have your way in this room and you'll speak to us now in Jesus name amen so for the next couple weeks we are going to be uh, talking about new thing right how Jesus uh, makes a way and we're going to be looking at the book of Isaiah Uh, Isaiah is in the Old Testament which is the first part of the Bible before Jesus came uh, Isaiah did his ministry around 700 years before Jesus Christ was ever, uh, ever even born. And uh, chapters 40, I need y'all to stick with me here for a minute. Y'all, y'all with me? All right. Chapters 40 through 55 are what's famously called the servant songs in Isaiah. So uh, beautiful day out today. We've had some good days uh, last week, some beautiful days. Tuesday was 78 degrees, and I got my Harley out for the first time in a long time, and uh, I had a great day. So I took it over to Greggy Capen, went across the mountain, and came to the panorama, and uh, I never get tired of that view. How You look over the, uh, the Potomac River and the beautiful mountains in West Virginia and uh, the other states over there, uh, they're cool too. But uh, yeah, just absolutely uh, beautiful. And the servant songs in Isaiah are like that. They are a beautiful panorama of this servant who is coming into the world. Isaiah is looking into the future. He has this vision of someone who's coming, right? The Messiah, the servant uh, who would come. And he's coming to bring justice, to bring peace, to bring salvation into the world. And he's coming. Isaiah sees him coming to set everything straight. Everything that's broken, crooked, everything that makes us sad in the world, the servant is coming to, to make everything new again. And our passage... Isaiah uh, chapter 43 is in that section, and it's about something new. Let's look at it again, Isaiah 43, 19. Look, this is the Lord speaking through Isaiah. I am about to do something new. How do you guys feel about new things? You guys love it? You all about it? You know, it is interesting living in a small town, people's attitudes towards new things. I'm not going to mention anything in particular, um, but, uh, yeah, it is interesting. Some people, um, they don't, uh, want anything to change. They want everything to stay the same. And you know, there's nothing wrong with that. That's why a lot of people like a small town, like a rural area, because everything's familiar. Everything stays the same. And that's one of the cool things, you know, about a, a rural community. Um, you live in the city. It's very fast paced. There's a lot of change. Um, but other people here in our community, they want to see change. They want to see progress. 
Um, they want to see um, all kinds of new things, right? And I'm not saying either one of these are bad. I've got thoughts on both of them. But uh, here's my question for you. What if God was doing something new right here in our town, in our community? What if God was doing something new right here in our town, in our community? What would you think about that? Think about that for a second. What, what would you think? See, our passage this morning raises a question. I want you to look at it. Isaiah 43, 19. Look, I'm about to do something new. Even now it is coming. Do you not see it? There's the question. Do you see it? So um, and I want you to think about this question. Right? This is, this is I want us to drill down on this for a minute. Do you see it? Right? Because I'm not the one asking the question here. This is the Lord speaking through his prophet Isaiah to you personally and asking you, do you see it? Do you see uh, what God is doing? Now, i got to answer the question, too. I have to ask, answer the question right along with you. But the Lord is speaking through his prophet Isaiah, raising this question, uh, because God's people had not understood. They had not seen what he was doing. They were not listening to him. And see, that's what the prophets uh, were called to do. The prophets were called uh, to go and to preach and to speak God's word to uh, his people and to call them back uh, to him uh, because they weren't trusting and obeying him. That is the Israelites. So let me mention a couple reasons why people miss it. Why they don't see what God is doing in the world. And the first is this, the road is blocked. Can't see it because there's an obstruction. There's something blocking the road, right? And uh, let's look at our passage again uh, in uh, verse 19. And all of this is coming right out of this verse in Isaiah 43, 19. Look, I'm about to do something new. Uh, even now uh, it is coming. Do you not see it? Indeed, I will make a way in the wilderness. You see that? I will make a way. And the word way here uh, can also mean uh, road. The reason God has to make a way is because there was no way. Right? You think in a wilderness, there aren't roads. Um, when I uh, took a ride on my motorcycle this past week, I went over to Greggy Capen, and I, I went to the uh, Low Water Bridge. If you've never been there, it's a beautiful, beautiful uh, place. And... Uh, as you go in, especially in the springtime, there's a, road, there's a, a sign that says road closed because there's a lot of rain and, and, and everything and the, the waters rise and, and the waters go across uh, the bridge there. So the reason that people don't see the new thing that God is doing in the world is because the road is closed. The bridge is blocked between them and God. And this is, Isaiah actually says this exact same thing in, in chapter uh, 59, verse 2. He says, it's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and he will not listen. Now, I'm going to say the word sin about 30 or 40 times here in the next couple minutes. How do you guys feel about that? It's going to happen no matter what, so it's going down. Uh, but I promise you today's going to be a good day. Um, so sin in the Bible is multifaceted. It's not just like breaking rules and things like that. I want to show you some other ways that the Bible talks about sin. Uh, and this is the Bible's way of saying what's wrong with the world. There's a, a Bible scholar, a theologian, a guy named Cornelius Plantinga, wrote a, a book about this topic, and here's what he says. 
Sin is disruption of the created harmony. And then resistance to divine restoration of that harmony. God hates sin not just because it violates his law, not just because it's breaking his commandments, more substantively because it breaks the peace. It interferes with the way things are supposed to be. You see that? So he, said, he describes sin here two ways. Right? The first is it is a disruption of the harmony that God created. So God created the world uh, peaceful and harmonious, right? And listen, if, you, if you're a fan of Jesus and you get down with Jesus, you believe in him, think he's a good person or whatever, Jesus was clear, you have a creator. He affirmed the entire Bible. You have a creator that God created you, and he created everything in this world, and he created it to function and to run and to work a certain way. Sin is going against that order. Sin is going against the wood grain that God has built into his world. But he describes it another way. The second way here is sin is also resistance to the divine restoration of that harmony. So God is at work in the world by his grace and and his mercy, putting things back together, right? Healing things, bringing peace, bringing justice, bringing salvation, bringing forgiveness. Sin is resisting that. I don't want that new thing, God. I don't want uh, uh, this, you know, to be about what you're doing. So, it, sin is us as humanity barricading ourselves from God. And as a result, we miss it. We, we can't get across the bridge because we barricade ourselves away from him. Right? It's not the other way around. So, that's the first reason we miss what God is doing in the world. Right? The road is blocked. The second is we miss it because the visibility is bad. We can't see it. Um, me and my wife uh, one time were coming back from Canaan Valley, and uh, we, we made a right there at Davis, up on top of the mountain, and we headed out towards Mount Storm. Right? And a couple people were smiling in here. There's a reason it's called Mount Storm. Right? We hit a, a blizzard came down. And I'm talking about a serious business blizzard. I thought someone was going to hit us head on. I could not see anywhere in front of us. I couldn't see, I could barely see the sides of the road. Top of that, I was in a Honda Accord. Now, I made it off the mountain because I'm from West Virginia, by gosh. I came down off of that mountain. Uh, But I couldn't see, we couldn't see anything. It's crazy. Sin causes us to lose visibility, to lose sight of the new thing that God is doing. And this is one of uh, sin's effects in our lives. It has a blinding effect. This is what Jesus taught as well. And this is why the Lord is asking the question, do you not see it? Because he knows what our problem is. Do you not see it? And Isaiah says, if you just go up a couple verses in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 8, he says this. Isaiah 43, 8. Bring out a people who are blind, yet have eyes. See that? spiritual blindness. I got physical eyes. Of course I can see, but I don't see what God is doing. I don't see what the invisible God uh, is doing uh, in the world. And Isaiah here, in these two ways, barricading ourselves from God, separated from him, blindness to him, he's getting at what is wrong with humanity. And we all know something's wrong. We all know that something's wrong. And if you're here and you don't think that we have problems, that's a problem itself. Right? That's a problem uh, in and of itself. And this is probably the, 
this is the question that our culture is asking right now. Who's to blame? What's wrong? And this is the question that we're asking. Who's going to pay for this? And listen, we know that something's wrong with us, and we try to cope with it. We try to deal with it in a thousand different ways. All right, we try to medicate it away. And listen, I've worked in the substance abuse mental health field for like two decades. So I've thought about it a little bit. We are more medicated than we've ever been. One out of five people are, are prescribed uh, some type of psychotropic uh, medication. Prescription amphetamines rose more than 30% over the past five years. And listen, I'm not, I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad or if you're prescribed any of that stuff. I just want you to think about why is that? Why are prescription amphetamines have risen 30% and the drug companies can't even keep pace? with that. Is it really working? Is it really touching your problem? Is it really bringing sanity uh, to your life? Drugs and alcohol might enable you to forget for a moment, but we only, uh, it'll only be worse when you sober up. Listen, we all know that. I, I don't have to preach that to you. If you've struggled with drugs and alcohol in here, you know that. Uh, it, it leads to misery and, and all kinds of pain. I know, I know it firsthand myself. I found the article, and here's what it says. After sleeping, Americans spent most of their time watching television. So we're either asleep or we're <laughs> watching television, uh, averaging about 3.1 hours a day, just slightly more than they spent working. I want to read that last part again. Averaging 3.1 hours per day, just slightly more than they spent working. I want to know who's got the 3.1 hour a day job. They need to get to work. That'll solve most of the problems right there. Jeez. And then this article went on to uh, list the states that have uh, spent the most time uh, watching TV. And it wasn't California. It wasn't New York. It was West Virginia. <laughs> it was West Virginia. We got a lot of time on our hands, I guess. So my point is this. In a lot of ways, we're just trying to escape reality. Trying to escape our problems, we're trying to numb ourselves, we're trying to distract ourselves. But sin is like a toothache that won't go away. You put the little numbing medication on there, it's coming back. It's going to keep throbbing. We know something is wrong with us deep down. And Isaiah's putting his finger on that sore and he's touching it. The Bible makes it clear sin is our main problem. This is what blinds us to seeing what God is doing in the world. And, and most likely you've sung this before. If you've ever sung the song Amazing Grace, right? I once was blind, but now I see, right? And he's talking about spiritual blindness there. So let me ask you the question again. Do you not see? Do you see? Do you have eyes to see the new thing that God is doing? So this is why the new thing the Lord says he is doing is so important. Let's look at it again. Isaiah 43, verse 19. Look, I'm about to do something new. Even now it is coming. Do you not see it? Indeed, I will make a way in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. So what is it? What is it? What is this new thing that God is saying he's going to do? I'm going to just cut straight to the chase here this morning. The new thing is the resurrection of Jesus. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about the fact that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead and that God was going to send him into the world. Right? Isaiah is seeing it in a vision, a vision of the future. By the way, this 
Isaiah's vision, seeing Jesus Christ come into the world to do what God had called him to do, to serve the will of the Lord, that's what the whole Bible is about. Right? Maybe that hasn't been your experience in church. Maybe uh, your experience in the church is uh, the Bible is just a bunch of rules, a bunch of random rules, and they're always changing. You never know uh, what's going on. It seems arbitrary. Maybe you've heard the Bible is just a bunch of random um, moral stories. You need to act like David or, or Moses. And that, some of this is true. Or maybe it's just an inspirational uh, book with a bunch of wise sayings in it. This is not how Isaiah thought about the Bible. It's not how Jesus thought about the Bible. It's not how any of the apostles thought about the Bible. They thought about the whole thing is about Jesus. The whole thing is about this servant who would come into the world to do something for us. Right? And that's different. Now, a lot of people think about the Bible. The whole Bible is about what God has done in and through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about this vision that Isaiah paints of the future of him coming into the world, you know. Uh, so we recently got a Burger King and an IHOP in Hancock. Hey, I thank God for that. I thank God for Burger King. I went over there and got, got me some Burger King, you know, but there was some hype, you know what I mean? We're going to get some new, we got the Little Caesars too, don't forget about that, right? Yeah, we got those. And, uh, you know, the people were looking forward to that, weren't they? They were looking forward to the Burger King. I know I was. Rudders, yeah, we got new things everywhere. It's amazing. But it was something new. It was something new. That's my point. See, the, the prophets were looking forward to this new thing, the arrival of Jesus. This is what Isaiah is all about. In our passage in, in verse 19, it says, Look, I'm about to do something new. Even now it is coming. Even now it is coming. Uh, so Isaiah was written in Hebrew, and literally that phrase, even now it is coming, is even now it sprouts up. Even now, even now it sprouts up from the ground. And this is beautiful. It's Hebrew poetry. Isaiah's got this vision of the future, and he sees something sprouting up, right? And this is perfect time to talk about things sprouting up. We've got things sprouting up uh, everywhere. People texting me pictures of mushrooms. I won't name any names in the room. Uh, people picking wild mushrooms that are, that are popping up. If you look at the beautiful streetscape up along the block here, there's tulips that are, that are popping up, and it's beautiful. So Isaiah sees Jesus popping up. He sees Jesus rising up. He sees Jesus uh, sprouting up. And here's what's wild. Jesus claimed the same thing about himself. That's just, this is crazy. Matthew chapter 11 which is one of the biographies about Jesus' life, um, is a story about John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was another prophet like Isaiah, and he came right before Jesus. He actually baptized Jesus. And John the Baptist was locked up for preaching, like Isaiah and like Jesus. He was locked up. And you got to think, he's like, man, the servant's coming. The Messiah's coming. Let me tell everybody. Oh, time to sit in jail for a little bit. you got to think he had some doubts. You know what I mean? You got to think he might have been a little bit worried, like, is this really the dude? Is this really the one? So he sent from jail to ask Jesus. And this is what it said. Jesus replied, go and report to John what you see and hear. See it? The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Those with leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. Yeah, Jesus did that. 
and the poor are told the good news. When Jesus says the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, he's quoting from Isaiah. He's saying, I'm the one. I'm the servant. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Son of God. I'm the true King of Israel that God sent into the world, the long-awaited one. I'm him. He's saying, I'm the new thing. And what did he come to do? What did Jesus come into the world to do? Here it is. And it addresses our problem. Jesus makes a way where there is no way. That's what our passage says. Look at verse 19 again. Indeed, he will, I will make a way in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. By the way, there, there aren't roads in the wilderness. There aren't rivers in the desert. That's his whole point uh, here. The picture here is very much like uh, the bypass that's going in. If you go up Johnson's Mill Road, you look, you can look all the way over to Route 13, Winchester Grade Road, for those of you guys who don't know it as Route 13, and you can look all the way over to Route 9, Martinsburg Road. At one time, there was nothing but woods there. There was no way. Now there's a way there. Right? That, this, is, this is the vision that uh, Isaiah is, is seeing here. And he is referring backwards as well. He's referring backwards to the greatest event in Israel's history, which is the Exodus. Do you guys remember Moses, Pharaoh, all that deal? That's what he's referring to. He's looking back. The greatest event in their history, they were in slavery. God sent Moses down there to deliver them from slavery. He brought them to the sea. He parted the waters so that they could go through salvation. He saved them, and the waters came crashing down uh, upon God's uh, enemies. So Isaiah is saying that event is like, a, is like a sign pointing forward to something greater. If you go up on Johnson's Mill Road, you go down here, go up on Johnson's Mill, you come to the bypass, there's a sign that says something like big equipment, massive equipment, be careful, right? And the sign is a small sign, but it's pointing to those big, huge trucks that if you don't pay attention, they're going to run over your car like a monster truck, right? Uh, so the little sign is pointing to something massive, and that's the same deal here uh, in Isaiah. The thing that Jesus came to do the new thing that Jesus came to do is far greater than what Moses did at the Red Sea. That's what, that's what uh, Isaiah's whole point is here. See, Jesus makes a way where there is no way. I want to be clear here about something. God does not make a way for you to have it your way. God does not, uh, God does not keep promises he's never made. And a lot of people put God in their debt for that reason. God only keeps the promises that he said he was going to keep in this word. So Jesus came into the world to save you from your way. He came to save you from yourself and from sin. All right, this is why he came. This is what we just talked about. There was no way for us to get to God. There was a barricade. The road was blocked. We were separated from him because of our sins. Our sins separate us from him, but God did a new thing in Jesus. He sent his son, Jesus, who took responsibility for your sins at the cross to make a way for you to come back to God. And Jesus died 
and was put in a tomb. But he rose from the dead three days later to deliver you. Just like Israel was rescued from slavery. God rose Jesus from the dead to deliver you from your slavery of sin. From death, from hell, from the devil and all his demons. Titus chapter 2 verse 14 puts it like this. He, that is Jesus, gave himself for us to redeem us. You see that? That, this is the, the, the word for what God did with Moses and, and the Israelites. To rescue us from lawlessness. To cleanse, to cleanse you from sin. A people for his own possession, eager to do good works. You see, the God who brought Israel out of that grave in Egypt is the same God who brought Jesus out of the grave. It's the same God who is present here in this room to make a way for you come out of the grave, come out of the spiritual grave, come out of spiritual slavery to sin. So that's what Jesus came to do. He comes to make a way where there is no way. Number two, Jesus opens our eyes. That's what he does. Remember, sin, one of the effects of it, it causes us to lose visibility of what God is doing um, in the world. And Jesus came to open up our eyes. Jesus said the same thing about himself. He said, this is what I'm all about. And Luke chapter 4 is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. This is another one of the biographies about Jesus' life. And he's in his home, hometown. He's in a worship service. He opens up the book of Isaiah and says, chapter 61 is what I want to talk to you about today. Look what it says. And the reason that this is bold is because he's quoting from Isaiah in the Old Testament. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives. Here it is. Recovery of sight to the blind. To set free the oppressed. And Jesus rolled up the scroll and he said, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And then they tried to kill him. Because they knew what he was saying. He was saying, I'm the one. I'm the Messiah. I came to open blinded eyes. And our passage back in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 19, says, do you not see it? Remember that? Do you not see it? Here's what that is getting at. It's getting at the fact that we ought to see it. Don't you see it? It's right in front of you. It's obvious for everybody. If we, we got eyes to see. It means it is unmistakable. Here's the deal. Jesus Christ is real. He is a real person, a real historical person. To deny that is utter insanity. He is real. Jesus' resurrection is utterly undeniable. Period, point blank. I mean, you can deny it if you want, but that's just spiritual blindness. That is just hard-hearted stubbornness. Blindness to the facts. There's just as much historical evidence to believe that Jesus rose from the dead, as there is George Washington helped settle Berkeley Springs. Something to think about. You ever looked into it? You ever thought about it? Me and my girls, uh, we recently watched this movie uh, called The Case for Christ. And uh, it's about a, a guy named Lee Strobel. He uh, was a Yale Law grad, and um, he was an investigative journalist for the Chicago Tribune. Very accomplished journalist. And uh, he was an atheist. But his wife became a Christian. This was a problem for their marriage. All right? uh, he was an atheist, dogged atheist, 
And she was looking into Jesus and the Christianity, and her life began to change. And he, he thought she was part of some cult. So he set out to do everything that he could to rescue her from this cult. So he applied his investigative tools and his research methods, and he actually did what we should do. He went to the best resources, to the most capable scholars, historians, theologians, Bible teachers, and he looked into the facts and the evidence. And you know what happened? It overwhelmed him. He ended up bowing his knees to Jesus and giving his life to him. And he wrote a book called The Case for Christ. And it ain't a hard book. I read it when I first became a Christian. I never read a book in my life. And he's just laying out the facts of who Jesus is. So what is the evidence? What are the facts? I'll give you, I'll give you a couple here real quick. Uh, here's one, one piece of evidence. Everyone agrees that Jesus' tomb is empty. question is, what do, you, what do you do with that? All right, so here's the evidence. Everybody believes Jesus was a real person, had a three-year ministry, was crucified under the Romans, was buried in a borrowed tomb, and the tomb was found to be empty. There's the facts. And all the disciples believed and said they saw him alive afterwards. So, the grave was empty. Well, what happened? Well, what happened to it? Here's what some people say. The disciples, they stole the body. It was a heist. They stole the body. And all you got to do is think for five seconds to know that that is just ridiculous. What was in it for them? What was their motivation? Why would they do that? You know, Jesus had thousands and thousands of people following him, and he was publicly executed before their very eyes. What do you think they thought they had coming to them? They all fled. They all ran. They all gave up. He was their leader, their Messiah. Murdered. They were scared to death. I'm going to steal the body. And how would they have pulled that off anyway? How would they have gotten the body? Thousands of people followed Jesus. The Romans, they had significant motivation for that man to stay in that grave, right? The tomb was guarded by Roman secret service. The disciples were simple people. They were not Jason Bourne, right? They did not, um, uh, you know, do whatever they had to do to get, to get the body, and all the disciples died for preaching that Jesus is risen. Why would they do that if they know that they stole, stole the body and they, they made it up? Why would they die for that? Here's, here's something I know everybody in this room will agree upon. You would never die for a lie that you made up yourself. At some point, when you're getting a beat down or you're getting locked in a jail, say, all right, it was just a joke. I made it up. All right? So... Here's the question. Don't you see? Do you see? He is alive. That man is alive from the dead. It's obvious for those who have eyes. You see, well, what blinds us to the facts is our desire to live however we want. That's really the problem is, doggone it, we don't want anybody telling us what to do. We're going to live however we want because here's the reality. If Jesus is risen from the dead, you know what that means? He is your creator. He knows how you work best. He gets to boss you around. You can't put him back in the grave. You can't knock him off the throne. 
He is your Lord. It means you're a sinner in need of saving. It means he's the world's true Lord. It means he's running things, nobody else. We got, we got significant motivation not to believe um, he's alive. And I was talking with someone, I'll give, you, I'll give you an example of this. I was talking with someone about all this recently, about the facts and the evidence and all this. They kept going, but, 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 all these objections. And finally, I asked, do you trust any historical event that has ever happened like George Washington being here in Berkeley Springs? And they said, no. And for me, I didn't say it out loud, but the conversation was over. Because that's just spiritual blindness from a hard heart that wants to be in sin, that wants their sin no matter what. What more could God do for us? What more, what greater evidence could God give to us? He sent his only son into the world. He took flesh upon himself. He became a human being. God showed his great love for us at the cross by Jesus dying for us. He died. This was all public. Jesus died publicly on the cross. Thousands of people watching. That was God's love for us as sinners. God raised a man physically from the dead. For all to see, he ate with people. He walked with people. Forty days, 500 plus people saw him alive. Forty days after that, what more could God do? He's done, did it all. And Jesus did all this to open our eyes so that we could see the truth about God and the new thing that he's doing. So, what should you do with this? What's God asking of you? What is God asking you to do with this? It's really not complicated. Isaiah 43, verse 19. I love this. This is so beautiful. One word, look. This is what he's asking you to do. Look, I'm about to do something new. He is asking for you to look at it, to step back and to be in awe, amazement, just to acknowledge it, to accept it into your life as truth, as fact, as the only thing that can make sense out of your life and your problems and the world, and the reason you got a heartbeat right now. And this is the message of Christianity. The message of Christianity is look. That's it. It's to look to Jesus. Everything outside of Jesus is just nothing but religion. That was Jesus' message. Everything but Jesus. Everything but Jesus. And I don't care if you're here, if you're someone, you're, you're progressive or you're spiritual. Maybe you're here and you say, well, listen, I'm not religious. I'm spiritual. Or maybe you're conservative. It doesn't matter. If it's not Jesus, it is religion. And here is religion. Religion is man's ideas about God. It is man trying to work themselves up to God. Christianity is God down to man. It is God saying, you look. Look at what I did. Look at what I'm doing. Religion is the opposite way around. Religion is look at what I'm doing. Look at the rules that I keep. Look at how good I am. Look at the flags I have on my business. Look at the yard sign I have in my yard. I'm a good person. I'm a peaceful person. I'm a loving person. Look, God, look at how good I am. Look at my resume, God. It's also everybody else. Look at how good I am. 
Do you see? Mm. I'm a pastor with a coat. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I'm a spiritual person, a religious person. This is not Christianity. The gospel says, look at what God has done. Religion says, look at what I've done. The gospel, the good news of Jesus says, look at what God has done in Jesus. Just see it. Just look at it. Just behold it. Here's what religion does. Religion leaves you feeling like you'll never be good enough. The good news of Jesus says, true, you're not good enough. In fact, your problem is worse than you thought. But look, look at the new thing that God has done for you. That's it. Came to make a way for you. Came to open blinded eyes for you. Maybe you're here and you think, man, I messed up. This was me when I became a Christian. I was not an upstanding member of this community. Matter of fact, everything I did in my whole life brought misery into this community, into my own life. You stick around for a couple weeks and I'll share some of it. Maybe you're here and you think, I'm a screw up. I'm messed up. I'm too far gone. You don't know what I've done. Um, you're just the type of person that Jesus came for. If you're here and you acknowledge that you're a sinner and that you need him, that you're sin sick and you need the physician Jesus, you are just the person. You're a beautiful candidate to be a part of his church. Jared Wilson, in his book, The Imperfect Disciple, puts it like this. This is who Jesus came for. For those who have struggled their whole life to get their acts together. Is that you? The cut-ups and the screw-ups, is that you? Because Jesus came for you. The tired and the torn up, the weary and the wounded. Jesus rose from the dead for you. So, what is God asking of you? He's asking you to look away from yourself. To look away from anything that you've been looking to for happiness or truth or meaning or spirituality, or religion, whatever it is, look away from all that and look to Jesus. You see, the new thing that God says he's going to do in the world is what he's done in and through the resurrection of Jesus. Here's what that means. God is still at work in the world through the Lord Jesus Christ, building his church, building his kingdom, spreading the good news of the gospel. All right? So Jesus said, Matthew chapter 16, I will build my church. Sorry for folks who don't believe in church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I think he kind of believed in it. But here's what that means. He's saying he's going to continue to build it until the day that he returns. So I want you to look at what God has done for us as a church. I hope you can see it. I really hope you, you can. God did this with this church in 2020 when our culture lost its mind. And it still lost its mind and still looking for it. But it was really thick then. He did this new thing when there wasn't hardly anything new happening in this community. If there was something else, you'd come and tell me. God did it in 2020. People were scared. Businesses were closing. Some of them were still closed. Right here up and down the street. 
church buildings locked their doors, but God started this new thing, this church. And look at what he's doing right here, right now in this church. All these people are here because of what he's doing. And it's a new thing. Most of you guys who've become a part of this church have come to believe in Jesus as a result of this church. You've had your, or you've had your faith revitalized and you've been baptized as a result of this church. And that's a new thing. Look at this building. Look at what God has done with our little group. Our church is not even three years old. Look at what he's done. God, God, this is God. God did this. We deserve no credit. He did it all. This is all his resources. This is not our plan. This is not our idea. This is not our favor and our partnerships or anything like that. God did it in and through the resurrected Lord Jesus. It's all his money. It was the generosity of his church. It was a love for him that you guys dedicated your time and your energy a year of your life to help and renovate this space. Everybody who was involved, men, women, and children, God was at work in your heart and your life. It was the grace of God at work in all the partnering churches. He did it. It's a new thing. It's just beginning. Called a pastor friend. Of, I'll end with this. Called a pastor friend of mine last week on Friday. And uh, said, hey, man, we got a big day coming Sunday. We're kind of like a grand opening for this space and big block party. I said, you got a word of advice for me, word of encouragement. He said, he told me a story about a pastor who woke up on Easter morning, uh, who had some health issues, woke up, couldn't speak, lost his voice. He was supposed to preach. And um, with a shaky hand, he wrote to his daughter, it is a terrible thing to wake up on Easter morning and have no voice with which to shout, he is risen. I'm pretty sure everybody up in here has got a voice this morning. You can shout. We are here to celebrate today. We are here to celebrate the resurrected, risen, reigning Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe you're here this morning and uh, you don't know what's going on in here, but you know something's going on. Maybe you're here and you don't know what's going on, but you want in on it. Here's, here's the good news. You can get in on it. You can get in on it. Just keep coming back. Keep asking questions. Keep, keep looking in uh, to it. Why do you think you're here? Jesus brought you here. You're here, for, you're here for a reason today. All right, and here, if you want to get in on this, even here today and here right now, all you have to do is look to Jesus. That's what the passage says, wasn't it? Look. Look to Jesus. See him risen. He's risen. See him reigning, sitting on the world's throne. See him returning soon. And this is what we want to respond to now.